ago, we gave everyone that was here uh, this particular um, portrait. It says who I am in Christ, and then underneath it, there are listed various truths about who you are if you are in Christ. And every one of these truths begins with, I am, I am. <clears throat> we have touched on a number of these different truths that are in this particular portrait as, as we have studied the mystery of the Holy Spirit. And uh, this morning, we're going to touch on one of them in a pretty focused way that is perhaps one of the most challenging of the truths that are in this particular uh, portrait here of who I am in Christ. And we've really focused on, you know, not defining ourselves by what's in the frame. And the frame represents our flesh. But defining ourselves by what God says, who we are, that's in the actual picture. And it's very difficult not to define ourselves by what's in the frame. Whether that frame, as we saw uh, last week, is our desires or our lust. We tend to define ourselves by what we desire. We tend to define ourselves by things... human family. Uh, we all have biological family. Uh, for some of you, defining yourself by your biological family could really boost your self-esteem. For many of you, it's not so good when you look at your biological family. But when you look at who you are in Christ and how you are now related to God, it boosts all of us. We're all on equal playing field, right? And no matter what your history has been, you know, so we, we looked at not defining yourself by what's in the frame, but defining yourself by what God says. And these are all truths. There's all scriptures there that support these truths. And we call it who we are now that we are in, in Christ. So this morning, I am going to, to focus on one of these that it says right here, that uh, it's the third one from the bottom. I am a significant member of the church, the body of Christ. I am a significant member of the church, the body of Christ. And right above it, it says, I am gifted by the Holy Spirit. And so we're going to focus in on those two truths this morning. And I want to begin by asking you a question. And the question is, have you ever heard of human depravity? Have you ever heard of human depravity? Now let me tell you what human depravity means. And perhaps you've never used those two words to define it. But let me tell you what human depravity is, and then you can answer the question, have you ever heard of human depravity? Human depravity, and we're going to put the definition of it up here, means that 
despite the ability of humans to outwardly uphold the laws of God and to modify our behavior, there remains an inward distortion in our hearts that makes all human actions displeasing to God and all human beings unacceptable God, whether or not we are outwardly good or bad. That's what human depravity is. That's a long definition. And you have to think about it for just a moment. As you look at the definition, you can say, well, do I agree with that or not? Well, those of us that are Christians, uh, we base what we believe upon the scriptures. And that's the final authority for us when it comes to what's true and what's false is the scriptures. So this idea of human depravity came from the Bible. Now, where did it come from in the Bible? Well, there's all kinds of scriptures that uh, indicate that all human beings are depraved. And uh, one of them is in uh, Romans 3.10. This was the Apostle Paul speaking. And he said, as it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. I, I can't think of a better uh, verse that just says, hey... If there's none righteous, no, not one, that means all of mankind is depraved by the definition of depravity. But he goes on and says, there's no one who understands. There's none who seeks after God. They have all turned aside. They've altogether become unprofitable. There's none who does good. No, not one. That double emphasis there. Their throat is an open tomb. With their tongues they have practiced deceit. The poison of asp is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways, and the way of peace they have not known. There's no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. Now, if you go back to the definition, if we can flash that back up there, human depravity means that despite the ability of humans to outwardly uphold the laws of God and to modify our behavior, there remains an inward distortion in our hearts that makes all human actions displeasing to God and all human beings unacceptable to God, whether or not we are outwardly good or bad. Can you see the definition of human depravity in what Paul said in Romans chapter 3 and verses 10 through 20? Another place where it's said in the Old Testament is in Jeremiah 17, 9 through 10 where Jeremiah was prophesying to the nation of Israel. And this is around the 6th century B.C. And he said, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked who can know it. I, the Lord, search the heart. I test the mind even to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his doing." What Jeremiah is actually saying is even when we do something that's good, our heart is desperately wicked. And we can have a wrong motive 
for doing that which is right. For example, we do something that's right not because we want to honor and glorify God, but because we want the praise of people. We want to be lifted up. We want to be exalted rather than God being exalted. And so the heart is deceitfully wicked above all things. Well, God sees our human depravity. He's the one who inspired men to write these particular verses. He knows us better than anyone. Fortunately for us, God is, is uh, a God of love. And as a God of loves, he doesn't want us to, uh, to be condemned to an eternal life separated from him in, in a place called hell because he loves us. He doesn't want us to be condemned for our depravity. He acknowledges our depravity. He says that it's true, but he doesn't want us to be condemned for it. And so he chose a way to provide a fix for our human depravity problem. And that fix that God provided is called the gospel of Jesus Christ. The word gospel, if you've never heard that word before, means good news. It's good news that in spite of our human depravity, God is love. And because he loves us, he provided a fix for our human depravity. So Jesus Christ came and he provided this way for us to receive a number of things which are all a part of the gospel. Jesus Christ came, son of man, born of a virgin, but also the God-man, 100% God. God was his father. He did not have a human biological father. <laughs> Almighty God was his father. He was the son of God. And he pre-existed his own birth. Incredible. So God, the creator God, gave his son out of his love to fix our problem of human depravity. And Jesus accomplished several things in order to deal with the problem. First of all, he, through his death on the cross, provided forgiveness of sin. We call that the uh, judicial fix. In other words, he suffered uh, for you and for me when he died upon the cross as the God-man in order to uh, experience in himself the wrath of God so that you and I don't have to experience the judgment of God and the wrath of God. Judicially, God fixed our problem. And then not only did he provide that, Jesus also provided another part of the fix, which is sonship. Because of forgiveness of sin, we can become the very children of God. And we become heirs of God. We can inherit what Jesus Christ died to give us. And, and I want you to know it's better than any inheritance that you're going to receive in this life, if you're going to receive one at all. And so we are the sons of God. And so that's a part of the fix to our problem. Of human depravity. And another part of the fix to our problem that Jesus Christ provided is that He gave His Spirit, He sends His Spirit to dwell in everyone who receives Him for the forgiveness of sin. And not only does He make us the children of God by adoption, but actually by new birth through the Holy Spirit coming to dwell in us. We become the children of God. And this is the experiential 
part of the gospel of Jesus Christ that so many people tend to neglect in their understanding of the gospel. But it was a fix for our human depravity, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And all of these parts play an incredible role as far as fixing this problem for us. Because of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the followers of Jesus became the temples of the Holy Spirit. All of the followers of Jesus, all that had received Jesus up to that point, uh, which were 120 on the day of Pentecost. The day of Pentecost is when Jesus sent the Holy Spirit to dwell in his followers. Uh, they all became the temples of the Holy Spirit. And in that coming of the Spirit, God united his Spirit with the spirit of the men and women that were there at Pentecost. And you know what happened? They were no longer depraved because of the work of the Holy Spirit. The moment the Holy Spirit entered into them, they received God's heart. <laughs> wow, isn't that incredible? To possess within yourself the very heart of the living God. <laughs> they had the ability to love like God loved. And they did. They received God's heart because of the coming of the Holy Spirit. They received the very mind of Jesus Christ. The mind of Christ. Wow. Suddenly they could think the thoughts of God. Because they had received the mind of Jesus Christ. And then they received power to perform extraordinary acts of God. And if you read the book of Acts sometimes, it's the acts of the Holy Spirit. In many people's minds, it's the acts of the apostles. It certainly includes them, but it includes a lot more than the acts of the apostles. We see the acts of the Holy Spirit operating in his church where these individuals who had received Jesus suddenly are performing extraordinary, extraordinary acts of God. Well, Paul said... That they were new creations in Christ. Is what he called them and himself. New creations in Christ. And, <clears throat> and right here once again we have this portrait. That includes all of the truths that are related to who we are in Christ. Now this is the gospel of Jesus Christ. I call it the whole gospel. You can preach the first point of the gospel. Our sins are forgiven through what Christ did on the cross. And that's good news. But I want you to know that's not the whole gospel. You can preach that we are the sons of God. Because we've had a positional change. We're no longer the enemies of God. But we're the sons of God. And I want you to know that's great news not to be the enemy of God. But that's only a part of the gospel. We should preach the whole gospel. The coming of the Holy Spirit and what that means for us now that we are in Christ. We are new creations in Christ. Now we got the title of our sermon series because it came from what Paul said. Paul called this, this part of the gospel where we receive the Holy Spirit and we become new creations in Christ. He called it a mystery. You know, the word mystery uh, can mean many different things. But literally what it means in the way it's uh, used there in, in, uh, in, in, the, in the scriptures is that it means a secret. 
It's a secret. It was a mystery. Now, it's been revealed to us now. We know the mystery. There may be certain things about it that we don't understand, but it's been revealed to us now through the gospel of Jesus Christ. But it was a secret, a secret in the Old Testament that people just didn't really know what to make of these promises related to the gospel. But it is a secret. It was a secret before Jesus came to over 2,000 years ago and he revealed the secret that was hidden in the Old Testament prophecies. The Bible indicates that even the very angels of God, Gabriel and Michael and all of those angels that are identified, not identified, that even the angels of God did not know what God was going to do. It was a secret, a mystery. And in Colossians chapter 1 in verse 27, Paul said this, To them God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is, and here it is, Christ in you, the hope of glory. The angels could not imagine what God was going to do in humankind by giving humankind the Holy Spirit. For humankind becoming the temples of the Holy Spirit. Him we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. To this end I also labor, striving according to his working which works in me mightily. It's all through the work of the Holy Spirit that Paul was doing the labor that he was doing to reveal this incredible news to the church of Jesus that had received him and then also to those who had never even heard of Jesus before. Accepting by faith this mystery of the gospel is the key. The absolute key to triumphant living in Christ. Yeah, all the parts of the gospel message are good news and they're all vital. But this last part of the gospel message, as you read the epistles of Paul, it becomes clear that without knowledge of that third part of the gospel about us being the temple of the Holy Spirit, you're not going to live triumphantly in Jesus Christ. It is the key to triumphant living in Christ. It is the key to living a spirit-filled life. It is a key to experiencing what the Bible calls the saving life of Jesus Christ. Jesus said, I have come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. And he was speaking about the spirit according to what Jesus said in the gospel of John. Now, this mystery that's a part of the gospel of Jesus, and I keep emphasizing this is the gospel. This is not in addition to the gospel. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. This mystery is very difficult to believe. Even for those of us who have received Jesus, it's difficult to believe. It's difficult to believe because of our human experience. We see what the word of God says about who we are now that we're in Christ and we look at our human experience and uh, we identify, well, first of all, all of these lusts of the flesh that we're still experiencing. 
And we talked about how to walk in the spirit and overcome the lust of the flesh. Uh, if you have not heard that message, uh, I would go back and, and get the notes on that and listen to that message. How to walk in the spirit and overcome the lust of the flesh. And so we tend to have uh, a problem believing this truth, this incredible truth about who we are in Christ because of our experience, our experience with our flesh. And we call the flesh the frame of the picture. But the frame of the picture is really clear in the scripture, should never define us, those of us who are in Christ. I mean, on the frame of the picture is male and female. That's true. There are male and female, but we should not find our identity in our gender, which many people are pursuing today, even changing their genders, trying to find identity. What? Why don't you just find it in Jesus Christ? Just settle that issue, right? And so, uh, and then we don't find it in our nationality. You know, we don't find it in the color of our skin. That's all a part of the frame here. And uh, so if we could just believe this truth, but it's difficult to believe because of our human experience, we need to be reminded of this truth. How often do we need to be reminded of the gospel? I would encourage you to be reminded of the gospel every day. Every day I need to be reminded of the gospel and I need to preach the gospel to my soul. And that's one of the reasons why we've given you this is so that you can put it up on your refrigerator or your mirror until you get this in your heart. Uh, I would encourage you, you need to remind yourself of the gospel of Jesus Christ, who you are in Christ. And so we got to receive this by faith based upon the word of God because my experience a lot of time doesn't speak this truth to me. <laughs> you know, when I'm being tempted by terrible things, terrible things, you know, when I'm tempted to kill somebody, you're not tempted to kill somebody? I'm, I'm going to come and just bow down at your feet if you're not tempted to kill people. I mean, when I'm tempted to kill people, when I'm tempted to commit adultery, when I'm tempted to commit fornication, you name it. I'm tempted by all of those things. You know, when I'm tempted by all of that stuff, I'm telling you, if I don't believe the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ and the truths that are in here, you know, I probably kill myself. I'd probably take my own life, you know, yeah, because it looks like to me in many ways, I'm still humanly depraved. <laughs> but the Bible says, no, you're not. It says right here is the truth about the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit is living in you. Now, I want you to know I don't need any other experience to confirm that for me. And uh, maybe you have had one. That has confirmed it for you in the early church. There was the tongues of fire and there was also speaking in tongues. And those were two signs that what was promised was true. They were indwelt by the Holy Spirit. You say, well, how did you know you were indwelt? Because they spoke in tongues and languages they had never learned. And you know what? At Western Hills, we're not cessationists. We believe that God can do whatever he wants to do. And if he does that today, we will rejoice in it and be happy with it. But I want you to know, I want you to base your faith primarily not upon your experience, but upon the truth that's in God's word. It's an anchor. It's an anchor. It never changes. It's always the same. <clears throat> when, 
When we believe this truth, the power of this mystery is revealed in us and through us. Got it? When we believe this by faith, the power of this truth is revealed in us and through us. The power of the Holy Spirit to be a messenger of this mystery is in everyone who receives Jesus. And that's what I'm going to talk to you about for just a few minutes here. That quote right there is what I want to talk to you about. And it's connected on this sheet to I am gifted by the Holy Spirit and I am a significant member of the church. The body of Christ is who I am. The power of the Holy Spirit to be a messenger of this mystery is in everyone who receives Jesus. In other words, if you've received Jesus, the power is in you to be a messenger of this mystery of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, I'm here this morning to convince you that that's true. I certainly believe it about myself. I've believed it about myself since the day I received Jesus. That the power of the Holy Spirit to be a messenger of this mystery, the mystery of the gospel, was in me. I believed it to be true. And I want you to believe it's in true in you before we leave here this morning. Now, in order to uh, understand what I want you to believe this morning, I want us to go back to the Old Testament. And it's the old covenant that God made with the Jews. And I want us to understand that in the old covenant that God made with the Jews, God sent the Holy Spirit to specific people to be his messengers to the Jews. He didn't send his spirit to every Jew to be messengers to the Jews. He only sent his spirit to a limited number of people to be his messengers to the Jews. And whenever you read the Old Testament, you will find a phrase in it. And the phrase is, and the Holy Spirit was upon them. That's the phrase that you find. Whenever God would choose a specific person to reveal his message to the other Jews, they would describe it as the Holy Spirit is upon them. First time I could find this was in Numbers chapter 11. At some point, I want you to go back and read the... 11th chapter of of Numbers. It's a fabulous story. It's after the exodus and the uh, children of Israel, more than a million of them, that Moses was leading through the wilderness. He led them to Mount Sinai. and, And they had been eating this bread that God provided from heaven called manna for a long time. And they began to complain and gripe about getting the same food every day. It was all they needed, but it wasn't what they wanted. And so they began to complain and gripe. And they began to ask for meat. And so here's Moses, the leader of over a million people. What a church. You know, over a million people. And he's got all of these people complaining because he's not giving them what they want. Meat. And so what does Moses do? He takes his complaint to God. He says, God, look. (laughs) He's always saying... I'm in a terrible spot here. I have over a million people expecting me to provide meat for them. And we don't even have a means to accomplish that. I mean, if we slaughtered every animal that we took out of Egypt, it would not be enough to provide meat for all of these people. And so he brings his complaint to God and throws it out there. You ought to read what he says. And then uh, God speaks to Moses and tells him 
okay, you know, I am going to meet this need. And God's like, Moses is like, how are you going to meet this need? <laughs> how are you going to meet this need? Now, this is Moses who saw God split the Red Sea and do at least 10 miracles back in Egypt. So it wasn't like he hadn't seen the power of God. And so in his mind, he's thinking, how are you going to accomplish this? I mean, come on. I mean, if I slaughtered every animal we had, it wouldn't meet the need, you know. Well, God just said, you know, I'm going to do it. And then God told him how he was going to do it. He was going through the wind. He was going to blow enough quail (laughs) into their camp and around their camp. It was going to, now can you imagine how many quail that was? I mean, quail's a small bird, you know. Uh, it's a very small bird. I mean, if you're going to eat a meal of quail, you probably need more than one. Isn't that right, Terry? I mean, you fixed a few of them for Steve over the years. And, and so he's going to provide enough quail for over a million people. He's going to blow them in. He's going to blow them in. Well, how do you get that message out? to over a million people. I mean, how's Moses going to get that message out? I have a tough trouble getting the message out to 130 of you that everyone hears. Well, God anointed 70 men, and he put the spirit that was on Moses upon those 70 men. He only did it one time for those 70 men. And those 70 men went throughout the million people, and they gave the people the message that God was going to provide all of these quail. And it says clearly in Numbers eleven twenty five. Then the Lord came down in the cloud and spoke to him. And took of the spirit that was upon Moses. And placed the same upon the 70 elders. He called them. And it happened when the spirit rested upon them. What did they do? They prophesied. In other words they said. They were inspired by God to say something. And they said it. That's what it means to prophesy. We're going to look at that in just a moment. And it says they never did it again. Well, God promised the Jews that he was going to make a new covenant with them at some point in their future. And it was not only being a covenant. The word covenant means an agreement, like a a contract. It's an agreement that God makes with people. Now, there's differences between it and a contract, for sure. And we don't have time to go into that. But I want you to understand it. God was making a new agreement with the Jews. He said, the old agreement's going to be done away with. I'm going to make a new agreement with you. And it's not going to be an agreement with you. It's going to be an agreement with the Gentiles. And in the new agreement or covenant, every member of this covenant would be enabled by the Holy Spirit to be a messenger of God. So I want you to see the context of that. God put his spirit upon those 70 guys and they became his messenger to over a million people. Right? And now God says, I'm going to make a new agreement with you. And I'm going to put the Holy Spirit upon every person that's a member of the new covenant To be my messengers. Now that's a radical change. Do you get the change? We go from a few messengers in the old covenant. That the Holy Spirit was upon. To every member of the new covenant. Being the messengers of God. Now Joel the prophet Joel promised it very clearly in Joel 2.28 and 29. He said and it shall come to pass afterwards. That I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Everyone say, on all flesh. On all flesh. Are you with me? You see what's happening here? Holy Spirit's going from a limited number of people, making them messengers, and only one time for those 70. 
and I'm going to pour out my spirit on all flesh. And it wasn't just the elders that received it in Numbers 11, 70 elders. He says, your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. In other words, they will be inspired by the Holy Spirit to share the message of God. Your old men shall dream dreams and your young men shall see visions. They're receiving messages from God through dreams and visions. And also, and he said, on my men servants and my maid servants, even the least of you. He wants to make it clear. Even on the maid servants and the men servants, they are going to be vessels of the Holy Spirit to communicate the message of God. He said, I'll pour out my spirit in those days. Wow. Well, Jesus came and he told his disciples that he was going to begin this new covenant that was promised in Joel. And he told them that they would be the first to receive the promise. Now, this was a radical thing for these 12 disciples of Jesus. I mean, they were fishermen, uh, they were farmers, and they were tradesmen. Well, it was some tax collector. I, I guess they would call him a tradesman, right? That's what they were. They were not educated orators. And, God, and Jesus told them, the Holy Spirit's going to come upon you and you're going to become a messenger. You're going to be inspired by the Holy Spirit to share messages from God with other people. So Jesus told them that they were selected for that purpose and they would be the beginning. In other words, they wouldn't be the end. They wouldn't be the only ones that were going to receive this promise. No, they would be the ones who would pronounce the fulfillment of the promise that was made in Joel. In Acts 1.8, Jesus said, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. We've got the same terminology, don't we? And you shall be witness to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. So when Pentecost came, the promise of the Holy Spirit was fulfilled. There was 120 believers in Jesus at that point in time. And all 120 of them received the Holy Spirit and they all began what? They all became messengers of God, every one of them. Every one of them became messengers of God. And it included men and women of all ages and from all walks of life, just like Joel promised. And Peter said to the crowd that had gathered, you're witnessing a fulfillment of what was promised by Joel. In Acts 2, 16 through 18. He just listed what Joel said and said, hey, what's happening right now? This is the fulfillment of that promise. Now, once again, the word prophesy that's used by Joel, and it's also used in the New Testament, means to speak under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God. Now, in the Bible, there is mentioned a gift of prophecy. And, and those who had the gift of prophecy, they had an extra measure of grace where they were inspired to foretell future events, those who had that gift of prophecy. And not only could they foretell future events, they could look at you and they could discern what was going on in your heart. And those, those had the gift of prophecy. 
Well, the promise of the gospel is not that everyone was going to receive the gift of prophecy, but that all would be able to prophesy. All would become messengers inspired, inspired by the Holy Spirit to be a messenger for God. The gospel of Jesus Christ is that everyone who believes in him receives the Holy Spirit and receives the ability to prophesy, to speak under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Now, I'm getting ready to share with you something that, if this is true, If we've all been gifted to prophesy, something's wrong. Something is wrong in the church of Jesus Christ. You know, the early church, they expected this to happen even in their meetings. Listen to this. This is the only window that we have into a worship service, and it was in the church at Corinth in 1 Corinthians 14. How is it then, brethren, whenever you come together, each of you has a psalm? Each of you. I underline that on purpose. This was a team event. It wasn't an individual event like you're experiencing this morning. Individual events are okay. It's, all, it's okay to have church in rows, but it shouldn't be the essence of the church. He says, each of you has a psalm, has a teaching, has a tongue, has a revelation, has an interpretation. Let all things be done for edification. If anyone speaks in a tongue, let there be two or at the most three, each in turn, and let one interpret. But if there's no interpreter, let him keep silent in church and let him speak to himself and to God. Let two or three prophets speak and let the others judge. But if anything is revealed to another who sits by, let the first keep silent. For you can all prophesy one by one. You can all prophesy. He didn't say certain select people. <laughs> Why? He would be disagreeing with what was promised. For you can all prophesy. You can all be inspired by the Holy Spirit to bring the message of God. For you can all prophesy one by one that all may learn and that all may be encouraged. And the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. For God is not the author of confusion but of peace as in all the churches of the saints. Now I want to say to you this morning... That our failure to believe the gospel of Jesus Christ in the church in the United States has created an incredible problem. And here's the problem. Christianity in America is in decline. For the most part, what we've had for the last hundred years in America is a church that's personality driven. Where there's certain individuals that are gifted by the Holy Spirit to speak the message of God and everybody goes and listens to them and we say amen and we go back to our homes and live our lives and that's the way we do church. Well, how has our failure to believe the gospel caused this decline? Well, I think it's pretty obvious, but let me state the obvious. If you don't believe that you can prophesy and speak under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, you will never personally win anyone to Christ during your lifetime. And I'm speaking to you. I'm speaking to you. Have you ever personally won anyone to Christ since you've been a Christian? If you don't believe that you can prophesy under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and be the messenger of God, 
then you're not going to win anyone because you're not going to share. You're not going to speak. The church has created an organization that promotes the false idea that only apostles, prophets, pastors, and teachers and evangelists have this ability to be the messenger of God, to prophesy. Our unbelief in the gospel of Jesus Christ has severely limited the number of believers that are fishing for men. We only have a few people, a small percentage of people in the body of Christ today that are actually actively fishing for men. As Jesus said, follow me and I will make you a fishers of men. 90% of church members surveyed said they have never tried to personally share their faith with anyone. Do you see the disconnect? If we are the temples of the Holy Spirit, and one of the ways that the Holy Spirit impacts us is that we can prophesy, which means we can be inspired by the Holy Spirit to be the messenger of God. You would think that there wouldn't be 90% of those surveyed who said, no, I've never personally, personally led anyone else to Jesus Christ. So that's one of the things that's caused the failure. Now, second way, second way that our failure to believe the gospel has caused this decline in the United States is if you don't believe that you can prophesy and speak under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, you will never consider yourself to be a significant contributor to the church of Jesus Christ. Do you see it? If you don't believe that God can inspire you to be a messenger, you're not going to see yourself as a significant contributor to the other members of your church, of your body that you're a part of. You will not see your role as vital to the spiritual growth of other believers. Every one of you that has received Jesus should see your role as a messenger of God as vital to the spiritual growth of other believers. Every one of you. That's the temple of the Holy Spirit. Whether or not you attend a meeting of Christians won't be very important to you if you don't believe that you can prophesy. If you don't believe that you can be inspired by the Holy Spirit of God to share something at your meetings that can make a change and a difference in the lives of other people, you're not going to feel like your role is very vital. You're not going to feel like your role is very important. And as a result, if you don't feel like your role is important, what's the motivation for attending? The average church member only attends meetings of the church today Twice a month. And this is one of the reasons why. And then. Our failure to believe the gospel. Has caused this decline. Because if you don't believe that every believer. Can prophesy and speak under the inspiration. Of the Holy Spirit to you. You will never consider your brothers and sisters in Christ. To be a significant, significant contributor. To your spiritual growth. I mean every time you go and meet with other believers, you should expect the Holy Spirit to speak to you through your brother and sister. Every single time, if the Holy Spirit is in them. And if they believe, they can be God's messenger. One of the prayers I frequently pray when I'm meeting with people for lunch, and all the guys who meet with me have heard me pray this multiple times, Father, today as we gather for lunch, I pray that as we meet for lunch, that I will hear from them what you want me to hear from them, and they will hear from me what you want them to hear from me. Why do I pray that? Because I believe that every member of the body of Christ has been anointed to prophesy. 
to speak forth the message of God. And I need to hear from them what God is wanting to say to me now. And they need to hear it from me as well. Can you see, if we believe this truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ, how that will change our meetings? Whether it's one-to-one meetings, one-to-a-few meetings, or whether or not it is one in a group. It will change everything. It will change the whole dynamic of our groups. If everyone came together expecting that to happen when we gathered together. In fact, if one of your brothers or sisters misses a meeting, and I do this all the time. Uh, I don't do this for church, our church service. Like if one of you has gone and I reach out to you, I'll, I won't say to you, I missed your part. Because I'm not giving you a part today. I'm not expecting all of you to prophesy to me today. But anybody who misses our small group has received this text from me and it's based upon this truth. When you're not there, I missed your part. I don't know what even your part was. I just trust that the Holy Spirit, if he lives in you, had a message for me through you. And I want to receive your part. And I missed it because you weren't able to be there for whatever reason. The truth that every believer can prophesy and speak under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit is the reason that Jesus said this. He said in Matthew 18, 20, where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there in the midst of them. Well, wait a minute. God is everywhere and we are individually the temple of the Holy Spirit. Why would Jesus say that? Because Jesus understood the way it was going to work. When two or three are gathered together in his name, there he is in their midst. He's ready to speak through every member that's gathered together there. We should have faith that that's true. The truth that every believer can prophesy and speak under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit is the reason Paul said, do you not know that you are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? In 1 Corinthians 3, Paul was speaking to the entire church and he was talking about them being the temple of the Holy Spirit together. In other words, yes, I am the temple of the Holy Spirit individually, but we together make up a bigger temple. And the Holy Spirit wants to work through that bigger temple in your life and in my life. The truth that every believer can prophesy and speak under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit is the reason that Paul said in 1 Corinthians 12, For as the body is one and has many members, but all the members of that one body being many are one body, so also is Christ. For by one Spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and have all been made to drink of the same Spirit. It's the same Spirit that dwells in you, that dwells in me, the Holy Spirit. For in fact, the body is not one member, but many. Oh, he's enlarging this idea. Yes, I am the temple of the Holy Spirit, but yes, we are the temple of the Holy Spirit, the body of Christ. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I am not of the body, is it is it therefore not of the body? Well, that's stupid, right? That's foolish. And the ears should say, because I'm not an eye, I'm not of the body. Is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where would be the hearing? If the whole, whole were hearing, where would the smelling be? And this is all a discussion about the spiritual gifts, which we haven't talked about much. People misunderstand the spiritual gifts so much in the church of Jesus Christ. And maybe we can clarify that coming up here in the next week or two. Some of those spiritual gifts. And uh, I'll explain it to you as best I can. But this whole idea that Paul is communicating in this passage in Corinthians. 
is that, yeah, we are members of the same body, and I can't say of you, I don't have any need of you. Well, if I don't believe that the Holy Spirit dwells in you and that you have the ability to prophesy to me under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, I can say, I don't need you. And that's what's going on in the church of Jesus Christ. It's obvious by the way that we live. We don't believe we really need each other. And so we can just casually decide, well, I'm, I'm not going to go meet with those folks today. You know, I'm not going to do this or I'm not going to do that. We won't be intentional. I mean, if you believe what I'm saying here, you're going to be intentional. I'm intentional every day about getting with members of the body of Christ. And it's not just because I have something to say to them. It's because I know that they are the temples of the Holy Spirit that can prophesy. And God uses them in my life. Do you believe it's true? We don't believe it's true, church. And I'm asking you to repent for your unbelief in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Your actions reveal the truth that you don't believe it's true. And that's what God wants to change in your mind today. And by the way, I am prophesying. You don't believe it's true. You need to change today and believe it's true. It'll change your life. It'll change other people's lives when you come to really believe that this is true. The truth that every believer can prophesy and speak under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit is the reason Peter said, you also as living stones are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. We're all just stones in a building and we need all the other stones in the building that are the work of the Holy Spirit, every one of us. As a result of our unbelief in the gospel of Jesus Christ, most churches today do not have a place for every believer to use and develop their ability to prophesy and speak under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. In other words, most church congregations don't have a place for the members to play the game. And so what do they do? They don't play. They sit in the stands and they watch a few people playing the game because they haven't been taught this truth and there's no place to play. As a result, we have these huge edifices we call churches filled with people. They're all sitting in the stands watching a few people play the game. That's why we're losing in our society. We are all the temples of the Holy Spirit that has this ability to be inspired by the Holy Spirit to share the message of God with others. If you understand and believe the gospel of Jesus Christ, that every disciple of Jesus is the temple of the Holy Spirit that can prophesy and speak under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, then you see yourself as a prophet of God. Do you see yourself as a prophet of God? One who is inspired by the Holy Spirit to share the message of God with others. That has a significant contribution to make to the spiritual growth of your church family. And you see every member of your church family as a significant contributor to your own spiritual growth. Wow. If we have this right, it will change the dynamic of our church family. And our congregation. As a new creation in Christ, you're created to do this. It is a part of your new, new DNA. And I want to share with you just a phrase that I thought up that might help you remember this truth concisely. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit on wills. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit on wills. 
We are mobile temples of the Holy Spirit. I like that. Wherever I go, I'm the temple of the Holy Spirit. Wherever you go, you're the temple of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit has divinely enabled you to prophesy, to be inspired by him, to share the message of God with others. Because of our faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ at Western Hills, our leadership is about creating places for everyone to play. This is not a place on Sunday mornings for everyone to play. And so we're all about creating places for everyone to play and prophesy. And we do that in various ways. One of the primary ways we do that is by the way we do small group. Small group is a place for everybody to play. And I want you to know every time I go to small group, I hear the Holy Spirit speaking to me through other people. That's what happens to me every single time. And it doesn't come in the way that you would think. Nobody's saying, thus saith the Lord. I mean, we ask questions about the scripture. And uh, one of the questions we ask, what's the Holy Spirit saying to you right now? What is he saying to you about yourself? What is he saying about God? What is he saying about what change you need to make in your life? And as I hear the answer to those questions, I hear people prophesying to me. We have created a place to play for every member of the body of Christ. But this is the reason. And I'm telling you, if the members of your group don't understand this, your group is going to be as dead as dead can be. There's not going to be any sense of life in your group unless you understand this truth about the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because of our faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ at Western Hills, our leadership is about creating places for everyone to play. We're about creating small groups where believers can connect with the group, but outside of the group. I need other meetings with other people in order to, because they're the temple of the Holy Spirit. And I need them to prophesy to me. And they need me to prophesy to them. And I want you to know as a pastor, I can't be that to more than like, I don't know, not very many people that I really function this way with. And it's one person at a time in most instances. We believe church is a team sport, should not be played alone, and this is the biblical basis for it. We believe this is true, and we believe church is a team sport. We believe the gospel of Jesus Christ. Do you believe it? Do you believe this is true? Man, this would turn the church upside down if we could get more of our folks who really believe this is true. If you're here this morning, the question first you have to start with is, have you received Jesus? Have you received Jesus? Do you really believe that he is who he said he was? Do you, that he did what he said he did? That he rose from the dead? That he is God? That he is Lord? You see, to miss heaven for hell is the greatest human tragedy a person will ever experience. And that's saying a lot because there's lots of human tragedies. But the, what makes that the greatest one is that <laughs> it's eternal it's an eternal human tragedy that never ends. What you need to do this morning is let Jesus save you and then let his spirit use you to save others. Like, what is your current purpose in life? <laughs> I mean, yeah, I'm a pastor. That's part of my frame, by the way. It's not who I am in Christ. You know, get that? It's my vocation. I mean, it's a called vocation. It's important, but... That's part of my frame. That's not, how, that's not how I define myself. I'm also on the board of several different organizations. I'm a board member, but that's not how I define myself as a board member. I won't always be a board member. 
I'll always be what's in the picture right here, right? And then, you know, I'm a basketball coach now. How about that? And so, but I don't define myself by that. I'm a husband. I'm a, I'm a father. I don't define myself by that, you know? That's not who I am, all right? The gospel of Jesus Christ says who I am, and that's what I have to choose to believe every day. And you know what? I ask the question, what is your current purpose in life, whether you're a believer or unbeliever? Have you ever thought about that? Most people find their purpose in the frame somehow. I'm a, my purpose in life is being husband. Really? Oh, that's sort of shallow. Now, I want you to be a godly husband, but that's sort of shallow. You know, what if your wife dies? Well, I don't know. I guess I don't have any purpose anymore, you know? Well, I'm gonna, my purpose in life, I'm going to be a mother or a father. What if you don't have any children? Well, that's sort of weak, isn't it? You know, what if you don't accomplish any of the career goals that you sought to accomplish for yourself? Well, that's sort of shallow, isn't it, as far as your purpose is concerned? Can you think of a better purpose than being a prophet of God? Being a messenger of God. No matter what vocation you have, whether you're a father, a mother, husband, a wife, being a prophet of God that's inspired by the Holy Spirit to go around and share messages of God with people. Is there a greater purpose that you can think of right now? Well, that's the reason Jesus said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Let's pray together. Thank you, Lord, for the gospel, the good news. Thank you, Lord, that even now you're inspiring people in this room with your message. Right now, you're doing that through the Holy Spirit. Thank you, Father, for your faithfulness. I pray that you would help us as a church receive by faith the gospel and walk in it. Walk in it. I pray that we'll all get out of the stands and start to play the game of being the messengers that you've called us all to be with those who are lost, but also, Lord, with those who are saved. Thank you for my brothers and sisters in Christ and how they help me grow spiritually. Thank you for how they reveal you to me in ways that I am not seeing in that moment. Thank you for the encouragement that brings to my faith. Thank you, Jesus, for your church, the body of Christ. We worship you, Lord, and thank you for your Holy Spirit. And I pray as we go forth this week, we won't just put this message away somewhere in a closet. But, Lord, I pray that you'll just deal with each one of us in our unbelief and what you've called us to do as the saints of the living God, the ambassadors of Christ, your missionaries, wherever we are. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord for giving us this purpose. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to end with a time of prayer this morning. If you have a need for prayer,